Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. We are joined by Dan Wallach, Stephanie Weisenberger, Taryn Charman, and myself, Dan Lust. What's up, guys? How are you doing, Dan? The gang of four. We got the full team. We're almost the full team today. Sans Mike and Sans uh, Jason. Well, we got a full team. We got like 50 people now writing all over the country. So, um, you know, Dan, I know you have a, we have a limited time with you today. Uh, obviously, Dan, uh, credit to you, totally your call, and I've told you this on and off the podcast, to cover the St. Louis Rams relocation lawsuit. We have four topics today, or really three topics, but before we get to the, the meat, which we will get into, the Washington football team stuff, the Ben Simmons stuff, and of course, the NLRB stuff, and maybe some Urban Meyer stuff if we have time. Wanted to talk about the St. Louis Rams relocation lawsuit, the updates that you had over the weekend, I had over the weekend. Yeah, you know, we've really been at the forefront. But Dan, go ahead, take it away. What are your thoughts on the St. Louis Rams relocation latest? Yeah, I mean, if just one of these four things had happened, it would have been monumental. But we had, uh, you know, we had the city of St. Louis file a motion for sanctions against Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, Clark Hunt, and John Mara, and seek the entry of final judgment and the striking of their pleadings for not turning over their financial discovery. Big, big, big news is a hearing this Friday on that motion. I don't think the court is going to grant it, uh, but we'll probably uh, enter some kind of interim relief, like maybe impose a, a monetary penalty or give some extra time. I don't see the pleadings being stricken. And in the end, it's not going to seismically change the case because the other 28 NFL owners aren't subject to sanctions. The NFL is not subject to sanctions. The Rams aren't subject to sanctions. So it really only goes to the issue of punitive damages as to those four defendants and who knows what the backstory is. But on top of that, the, the NFL uh, meeting the uh, city of St. Louis head on has filed a motion to disqualify Bob Blitz, who's the city of St. Louis's lead trial attorney. This case has been going on for four years. And now they're moving. Now they're moving to disqualify and toss the city of St. Louis's trial counsel. What do you think about that, Dan? Isn't that kind of late in the game? Um, it's certainly late in the game. Uh, and when they do assess these motions of trying to, you know, take someone out as counsel, there's a question as to whether or not it's prejudicial, whether or not it's fair. And at this stage of the game, you know, maybe it's Dan, like we say in the law, right? Acquiescence. If you let it happen for long enough, maybe at a certain time you've, you've acquiesced and be on the case. But Dan, the the uh, I guess behind the scenes, um, you know, we'll give credit to uh, you know our conduct detrimental uh, community. Uh, obviously, uh, we were told that a um, a challenge to the Missouri Appeals Court was coming uh, on something we didn't know what necessarily was about. Uh, and then Dan, uh, you and I were looking at the docket today. Things are filed under seal, but it sometimes takes uh, two heads. And now we have three heads. We had Stephanie, me, you, and Stephanie kind of tag teaming this uh, story. We're trying to figure out what this writ uh, was about, if it was about the venue determination, about summary judgment. Um, and yeah, you know, it looks like we'll see if they challenge the summary judgment motion. They still have time, but you called it uh, on one of our episodes or previous episodes of Conduct Detrimental that in uh, Missouri, it wouldn't be a true and tried appeal. Um, it would be something called a writ of prohibition, and that's exactly what occurred here. We had a writ challenging the uh, Judge McGraw's denial of the uh, attempt to change uh, venue. So, you know, to me, um, I know a couple of people have said over the last couple of months that this is the last chance to move trial. This is the last chance. You and I have never said it before. Um, and this appears to be their last, uh, last ditch effort to try to overturn Judge McGraw's decision prior to this trial. Dan, do you, do you think there's any merit to this, uh, you know, to their, their chances? Do you think they have any shot of actually getting this trial out of St. Louis or is it just destined for a St. Louis courtroom in front of a St. Louis jury? I think so. I think it's, it's going to end up exactly where it is right now, a St. Louis courtroom, St. Louis jury. I mean, motions to change venue often associated with high profile criminal cases. 
uh, not necessarily, you know, the, the typical or even atypical um, gambit to use in a civil commercial case. But this case has garnered a lot of publicity, a lot of pretrial publicity. And there's certainly questions as to whether um, the NFL could get a better jury selection outside of St. Louis than within St. Louis. I don't think there's any question about that, but that's not the test. Uh, the judge should be able to go through a jury selection, voir dire, and screen out people who don't have an inherent bias uh, against the NFL or in favor of the St. Louis Rams. I mean, the judge pointed out in his motion uh, in his order denying venue that the NFL left St. Louis because of the lack of, of fan support. And now they're taking the exact opposite tack that everybody in St. Louis is poisoned against Stan Kroenke, the NFL, St. Louis, uh, the, the Rams. I don't buy it. And given the NFL's track record, in the Missouri Court of Appeals, they filed, and I've, I, I, I scrolled through the docket with the help of a seasoned Missouri litigator, and the, the NFL has filed nine extraordinary writ petitions. Uh, I think all of them were writs of prohibition. They filed nine times. They lost nine times. It is an extraordinarily rare remedy that's sparingly granted, and uh, the, the transfer of venue is something that's inherently within the judge's discretion. I don't think the NFL is going to win, but certainly they're going to litigate and appeal to the Mars Supreme Court if they have to. They're going to they're going to use every uh, procedural device at their disposal. And I expect them to challenge the denial of summary judgment through a petition for writ of prohibition. And the clock is ticking on that. But that's certainly going to come as well. And the case law says you can file such a motion to reinstate summary judgment or order summary judgment where the trial is going to be inconvenient, unnecessary and unduly expensive in this one. I guess in the NFL's mind might fit those parameters, but that's going to get denied as well because you're not, you can't split up the case, get rid of count one, count two, but not count four or five. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll address that when it's filed. Well, um, Dan, uh, I guess I'll leave you with this. Um, there is a saying in the law. I don't know if you've heard it. Uh, the 10th try is a charm. I think that's what the NFL is going for here. <laughs> totally kidding. Not an expression. Well, um, you, but you know, you know, obviously, you know, the NFL has got to take, you got to take, the shot you know you gotta you gotta give it a chance right that's if this case you and i've said it all along if it gets to a st louis jury uh it's gonna be problematic so the nfl's you know you can't, you can't lack them for knock of effort lack of effort here right or billable hours but but i'll leave you with this or you billable know, hours correct you know I'm, I'm enjoying uh diving into this as, as you are as well because we're both litigators you know, Dan, you're a trial lawyer, commercial litigator. I'm an appellate lawyer, commercial litigator for, for 20 years. I mean, this is sort of right up our alley, uh, the procedural pretrial aspects to litigation, the trial, the appeal. It hits on all cylinders. And what we're bringing to this case isn't just, you know, two more, you know, voices weighing in with our opinions. Uh, we're, we're, this, this is our, this is our backyard. This is our ballpark and Missouri's the show me state, right? Missouri's the show me state. We're not just weighing in with like pontifications. We're diving in, we're doing the research. We're like, we're almost like pro bono counsel, you know, for the lawsuit. We're looking at both sides of the case, the weaknesses, the strength, and we're diving in, we're doing legal research. We're looking, uh, we're looking closely at the issue of punitive damages. And even yesterday, we had a, I had a tweet thread on, uh, I, I uncovered this gem from a congressional hearing in, in 1999 where the NFL included as an exhibit correspondence between Paul Tagliabue, Joe Brown and the uh, US Conference of Mayors in which the NFL basically said that the relocation policy is for the benefit 
of cities and was negotiated as part of a lengthy process with the Conference of Mayors, which includes the city of St. Louis's mayor. So what we do, what you and I specialize in is not just going into the weeds, but really addressing the, 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 the truth of the case, the merits of the case, and we won't spare any effort to try to explain this uh, to our audience. Even, you know, it will spend hours and hours just to understand this case, uh, do independent legal research. And, and I think it shows, I think it really shows in what we've done so far. So, uh, yeah, so Dan, uh, I know you're, you're constrained on time, but I'll, I'll say this, um, you're the man. I'm not gonna ask you where you get your sources from sometimes, but I uh, appreciate your, all your hard work on this one. And uh, obviously all, all of us kind of detrimental of our listeners, super appreciate it, but Dan, uh, well, we wouldn't do it without without you. I mean, I was broadcasting once every six weeks a year ago until you come along, and then Taryn, Mike, six weeks, Stephanie. six what? weeks, Dan. You went a year without podcasting. I got you, buddy. I got you. You um, brought you brought me back into the game. This is like Godfather Three. Uh, I'm Michael Corleone in the Vatican, but uh, this will be a successful sequel and probably the best iteration of Conduct Detrimental that there ever was. And we're just getting started. Uh, hopefully there'll be a trial and, and we'll follow this all the way through and including the trial, the appeals. We're not done yet. I mean, you might tell our audience what's coming up, but we're just really getting to the fun part of the St. Louis case. Yes. The best is yet to come, Dan. Okay. I know, uh, I know you got to run, but uh, all good, Dan. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Uh, so Dan is now gone. Programming note, it's now Dan Lust, Taryn Charma, Stephanie Weissenberger. So our three remaining topics, maybe we'll get to the fourth. We're going to talk the National Labor Relations Board's decision. Number two, we're going to talk about the Ben Simmons contract holdout situation with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, certainly a loaded situation, one that we don't normally get in basketball. We normally get this in football over in basketball. And then Last but not least, we're going to talk about the uh, ongoing saga with the Washington football team. We've talked about them in the trademark concept, the toxic workplace uh, concept. And now we have a new one, the DEA raid chapter. I don't know what you want to call it, but the Washington football team keeps finding new and intriguing ways to find, uh, find themselves on the sports law radar. And if we have time, maybe some Urban Meyer, but I'm obviously hesitant to cover this on the podcast. But if there's time... I guess it's sports law. I guess it's sports law. Okay. So, uh, but first, before we get into the substance, uh, just want to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. Those guys cover everything at the intersection of bar prep and law. They cover uh, a number of states. And just like us, you know, when there is uh, stuff to cover for bar prep, Themis is on it. When there's intersections between sports and law, we're on it because we're talking about everything from the St. Louis Rams relocation lawsuit, a topic that deals with breach of contract, unjust enrichment. Uh, and now we're gonna be talking, I don't know if we're gonna talk about toxic workplace with some Washington football team, I'm sure we will, some employment claims, um, but we're certainly gonna be talking about some employment and labor relations when it comes to the NLRB and college football. Themis Bar Review is the best, we will keep talking about them until they tell us not to, but we like Themis Bar Review. Okay, so Taryn, you had to sit in the background while Dan and I were yabbing on about the St. Louis Rams relocation lawsuit. We love it, but this podcast and the reason we do it, we cover all things sports and law, not just the, the ones that the uh, you know that everyone's talking about St. Louis Rams. We've got to tell you guys the important topic. So Taryn, take us away. National Labor Relations Board kind of drops a bomb on this in the middle of uh, last week, but go ahead. What happened? Yeah, massive. Kind of came out of nowhere. Although if you follow the, the track of how these cases have been going um, and now having reached the end of the Alston case, it does seem like the push to get player rights is at more of a crescendo than it ever has been. 
uh, Jennifer Abruzzo is the, uh, the GC, uh, the general counsel of the NLRB, which seeks to enforce the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, she released a memo uh, last week, and it says that she believes that college athletes are employees under the act. And so what does this really mean? Uh, it, it, it's not changing the laws as, as we know them right now. What it does is indicate to the full National uh, Labor Relations Board and to the, uh, the colleges, to the conferences, to the NCAA writ large that um, – that this is how the NLRB is going to be prosecuting these cases from now on. Uh, John Nucci had a great story on ConductDetrimental.com this week uh, that that summarized the memo. And so, Dan, even though this doesn't have maybe a, a immediate impact, where do you see this going? And and what do you think that this? What are the repercussions of the memo? Um, so I guess a couple of things, and I think at a, at a really high level, uh, for those that are kind of coming new to Conic Detrimental, this is a changing of the guard with respect to college sports. Everything that you've known about college sports has either already been thrown out the window or it will be in the next five years. So that could be, uh, from potential, uh, super conferences, which we were on the, on the road to NIL era kind of killed amateurism, right? Uh, there, there is some level of athletes getting paid. And this third one is as kind of as exciting as it is scary. Um, and I'll use that term. I know, you know, I'm all for student athlete empowerment. I am not really sure what a world looks like when college athletes are allowed to unionize. Um, not that I'm not in support of it. I just, people have been asking me all week and I went on a couple of shows. I went on uh, Baylor. I went on a, you know, Baylor station. I went to ESPN Houston. I don't really know what it's going to look like. So I guess, um, you know, I, I, I had my class uh, earlier tonight from New York Law School and I was teaching the students, I was just explaining what could come of this. So someone raised their hand, I'm not gonna call them out and they go, so if, if student athletes are, I guess, I guess you can't even say student athletes anymore. I, in this, we should mention Jennifer Abruzzo, general counsel um, at the NLRB saying that, why are we calling them student athletes? This is, this is the NCAA's attempt to basically call them something they're not, they're employees. And why are the employees just what's the definition of employee, right? You're conferring some type of benefit on, uh, we don't need to call them an employer, on someone above you, you're making them a lot of money and that person can exert this level of control over you. So, you know, for the last couple of decades, we've been saying, hey, aren't like college football players, college basketball, whatever sport, aren't they basically employees, right? Like, but we don't pay them anything. It's free labor. That doesn't really make sense. So in that sense, her memo is not really that surprising. And also, Taryn, which kind of flown a little bit under the radar, the general counsel's office of the NLRB back in 2017 issued a very similar memo, a prior general counsel, but also said kind of the same thing, that we view um, you know, college athletes, student athletes, whatever you want to call them, as more akin to employees. Nothing happened back in 2017. It didn't really, was not the signal of anything. Um, and that, later, that memo was later rescinded by uh, the general counsel. So there was one general counsel. Another general counsel rescinded it. And now we have a new general counsel, Jennifer Abruzzo. So at a really high level, Terry, the uh, GC, the general counsel of the NLRB issuing this memo, doesn't really mean anything. It's just an advisory opinion. Uh, and she's essentially inviting other schools. Uh, I know Northwestern challenged uh, their unionization status a couple of years ago. She's inviting other schools to come and say, hey, if you guys ask us to, if we can, you guys can be a union and we recognize your union rights. Maybe we'll have a different decision this time around. But for the time being, it doesn't really mean anything. And as we've seen back in 2017, general counsel issued this memo and nothing came of it. So 
don't know, Taryn, we can get into the doomsday of uh, unionization, employee, employer rights. I mean, what do, what do you think? Do you envision a world where student athletes are employees? Like, I just, I just yeah, have a hard time envisioning it. I, I guess I could see it. I am more concerned, I think, about it's like a be careful what you wish for sort of thing. One of the issues that I have with uh, with unions in their context of sports is that if you look at how professional sports unions uh, go about things, oftentimes they're really restricting the rights of the players because they're collectively bargaining. And um, and so that is uh, that would be mildly concerning to me if I was on the uh, on the player's side. I hope that they don't reach a situation where they've now unionized, they agree to collectively bargain, and then they're choosing to limit their rights. So which ways do we see this in professional sports? We see it through the draft. We see it through a salary cap. Those things would otherwise be antitrust violations, but they're not because the union is collectively bargaining those rights away with the professional sports league. So I would be concerned about collegiate athletes losing those rights. The second thing is that I thought that the student athletes bit that she put in there uh, where, where she says that the term was created to deprive those individuals of workplace protections. Yes, that's true. But it's also a little bit silly to say, OK, we can't use that term. The, the term now, I think, uh, at least after South Park made like so much fun of student athletes, I think we've all come to realize that, that that's a joke of a term and, and the reason why it was initially used. I'm not sure if if many people who are in the position of these collegiate players now views themselves as not having workplace rights. And so I, I didn't understand why she really said that, OK, you can't use that term anymore. Why not just ascribe workplace rights to that term? She's calling them employees. So why not just ascribe those rights under the NLRA to that term? And then. The, the last thing is that, um, yeah, like you said, uh, 2017, it was uh, this previous memo was rescinded by the Trump administration. I'm concerned, is this going to be a political thing where every uh, presidential election, we kind of have to con- get concerned over who's going to be added to the NLRB because that general counsel's office might issue a, a, a different decision? It doesn't seem like there's a lot of stare decisis when it comes to the general counsel's office. So I don't yeah. know. Those are the concerns I have, Dan. I guess, I guess I'll say this and then, you know, we'll, we'll move on. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant at a couple levels. Um, so, and the reason I said scary, uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I guess I can if Northwestern football, and I keep using Northwestern because they were the first guys to try to unionize, but if Northwestern football just like holds a strike against Northwestern and like, they just don't play. Um, so we got to kind of, play this out and I guess Taryn first isn't it kind of funny that South Park is kind of like at the core like they're making fun of student athletes they made fun of the Redskins name we can't sit so they're actually going to hit on two of our stories tonight just just randomly um but here, here's the big thing typically uh, like they're on the, the nose they've yeah. ser- seriously been on the ball what was the South Park episode crack crack ball was that was that uh, the crack, episode? crack babies athletic association yeah yeah listen the NCAA NCAA is on South. so I don't know. So I guess I guess here's what here's the big takeaways for people that are just kind of kind of coming new to the sports angle. Right. Uh, At the professional level, like the Major League Baseball Players Association, they represent every single player in Major League Baseball. Um, And then there's the owners on the other side. And there's a negotiation that occurs between the owners that represent all the teams. So it's a kind of the conglomerate. And there's one party that represents or, you know, there's the owners, one kind of entity. 
And then there's the Major League Baseball Players Association that represent the players. So even though there's a lot of different, there's 30 Major League Baseball teams and there's hundreds of Major League Baseball players, when they get to the table, there's really only two entities here. Now, what uh, the world that could happen in college sports, um, the NLRB is, uh, has, is tasked with, um, I guess, giving unionization rights to private schools. So, for example, in the Big Ten, there are 14 schools. Of those 14 schools, only one is a private school, Northwestern. Over in the, the Big 12, um, of the schools that are currently under the roof, two of them are private schools. So it's TCU and Baylor. So think of it like less than 10%. I don't I know what the exact numbers are, but a very small percentage of schools are private schools. So first of all, imagine a world where conferences have some schools that are unionized and some that are not, which is bizarre. Um, being unionization doesn't just mean rights, it could mean a lot of money. So right now, uh, why I kind of like talk about what's scary and whatnot, and Taryn, to your point, like, the world of NIL that we're in right now, everyone's in support of it. The left is in support of it. The right is in support of it. The schools are in support of it. The athletes are in support of it. Why? Because these third-party businesses are paying money directly to the athletes. It's not coming out of the school's pocket. So what does the left or the right have to complain about? They just said, okay, these random you know, third-party people are now legally allowed to pay athletes over the table. And maybe they were doing it under the table. They could pay them over the table. Why unionization is very scary for schools. Just take the Northwestern example again. Uh, what happens in our, in our pro unions when they're our pro sports league unions, when they, when they go to the table with the pro leagues, they, they say, you know what? We're going to threaten to hold a labor strike unless you give us a larger piece of the pie. And what's the pie? Okay, the pie is a piece of the television rights like merchandise deals, trading card deals, concessions, beer. You know, it, it, there's a lot that goes into it. So, you know, think about like as players and are always trying to get a 50-50 split with the owners and they end up falling around somewhere near 40% right around there. So that's the total piece of the revenue pie that all of a sudden the players will get. So now take this to Northwestern. That's what unions do. Unions try to collectively bargain. They threaten to strike and not, not you know, not uh, work for their employer. So you could have a world where Northwestern, Baylor and TCU and whatever other private schools are out there, Duke, right? Taryn, Duke's a private school, right? Yeah. Duke is, so, yeah. Those schools are, the athletes of those schools are threatening not to play in order to get a larger piece of the pie. So here's this doomsday scenario, which I'm, which I'm concerned about as an attorney. I think it's possible. Take it outside of sports. In our normal work context, there are certain shops, factories where the unions threaten to, uh, where the workers threaten to unionize. And the employer goes, if you guys unionize, I can't actually afford to pay you and the shop will shut down. So again, we're playing this five, 10 years down the road. And I just, I just want to point out the negative that could potentially result. If you have a, a school like Northwestern, that's like, listen, we can't afford for, to have you guys unionize because the way that our system works, which is the same way I'm sure every single sports department in the country kind of works. Football makes um, a lot of money, right? The, the college football programs make a ton of money. Basketball programs make money lesser than football, but they make good, good money. And that revenue, those are the two main revenue generating sports, gets sprinkled all across all those sports. So, you know, men's wrestling or women's softball or, you know, any other sports, golf, tennis, whatever. Those sports, for the most part, are funded by football and then basketball to a lesser extent. If you allowed the football team to unionize, you know, let's say like the football players, all of a sudden they say, hey, we're the ones making all the profit. We're the reason you have this giant TV deal. Um, we want 30% of the revenue pie. That then goes to football players. It goes down. It doesn't get sprinkled across. 
then you could have a world where, hey, maybe lacrosse doesn't exist anymore. Maybe field hockey doesn't exist anymore because we can't literally afford these programs. And we've spent so much time on this podcast talking about the non-revenue generating sports getting cut during the pandemic because they weren't making any money. They found ways to get football played, but you know the, the sports that weren't making money got cut, uh, got cut at least for the year. So now going back to our Northwestern example, maybe Northwestern says we have to pick either pay the football players 30% of the pie, I'm making up a random number, 35%, or uh, not pay them, cancel football and save the other sports. I mean, it just, it's, I can see it because I understand, you know, I've seen how unions played out. It took labor law once upon a time, but I can't really see it in college sports because it's almost like akin to like in the NFL, if you had 32 individual labor strikes that it could occur between each team, uh, it just, it's not something that we're used to seeing in sports. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking a lot. Any, uh, yeah. any other thoughts? Terry? I, I, I think that, um, yeah, it's just unlikely in, in my view that power five conference teams at least would walk away from football, given the amount of money that's there and constantly growing so you uh, think, revenue. I think they threaten it, but you're saying that, that oh, it would yeah, be a they bluff. threaten it. They, they, they threaten to shut down all the, the time. Remember NIL was going to lead to the downfall of all, collegiate sports we really shouldn't even have any sports on tv right now if you had listened to the way that they had talked for the last school not just the nca the schools were saying it too yeah and and it's ridiculous and and the truth is that their money has not been heard at all right it's the that they didn't want the players to to exert any control over their name image and likeness and and that's never been more clear than it is right now i just wanted to to point out one thing uh about the uh, I just wanted to point out one thing about the private versus public dilemma, and, and that seeming inconsistency was addressed in the memo. Footnote 34 was pointed out by... Uh, oh, Whitmer footnote 34. On... I love footnote 34. Go ahead. Yeah, of it's better, better than footnote 33. Third, <laughs> footnote 34. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it was pointed out by Mitt Winter on Twitter. He's uh, he's at Winter Sports Law. He uh, so on the on there. The general counsel writes because the players at the academic institutions are performing services for and subject to the control of the NCAA, their athletic conference, in addition to the college or university. In appropriate circumstances, I will consider pursuing a joint employer theory of liability. One thing that we heard a lot um, during COVID is that uh, these the, the there can't be any challenges to the cancellation or postponement of these seasons because the conferences are private entities, right, Dan? That we heard that a lot from the Big Ten. It, do you think that they're regretting at all terming themselves as these private entities because it's opening them up seemingly to to NLRB uh, uh, scrutiny? I guess yes and no. We'll see if they're going to hold them to it. Um, I don't know. I, I think this, you and I had this talk offline when I did my uh, Twitter spaces with Darren Heitner. I think it's one thing that you can, you, you, you can make a media quote once in a while, but like by definition, they are public institutions. Maybe the Big Ten is a private association, but like this is the fun conversation we had during the Nebraska lawsuit and the FOIA request. You know, like you couldn't touch Northwestern because it was a private institution legally. They, they were not subject to FOIA. The other 13 institutions in the Big Ten, be it Illinois, Michigan, um, you know, go, go down the list, Minnesota, you're all, you're all the Republic institution. So I don't know, you want to call yourself a private institution. It's a little bit different. But, you know, I, I think, um, Taryn, these, these unionization efforts would occur. And somebody asked me, it's a great question online. 
they would occur on an individualized basis. Maybe, maybe there's going to be some collective action that you can kind of, uh, you know, can band together the schools, right? You can have the players association of the big 10 teams. Uh, and then the, the teams on the other hand could kind of align with respect to the conference. Um, I don't know though, because Taryn, and I talked about this in my class and I don't, I don't want to you know, go down the rabbit hole, but like, you know, these like schools are in kind of like a loose alliance with these conferences. It's like, you could leave at any moment, right? If Texas and Oklahoma can leave the big 12, like, I don't know, do they really want to collectively bargain and kind of like, uh, you know, uh, negotiate as just one giant group? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe schools are more comfortable just doing it in isolation. So Northwestern has a union and they're negotiating against Northwestern, the school, but there's also a world Taryn where, where your kind of uh, point comes into play. If like Northwestern is, is combining with all of the big 10 schools, then maybe it falls more into the private analysis, the public analysis. Anyway, we're getting down a rabbit hole, but certainly fascinating. Taryn, anything else before we, uh, we move on? Yeah, I, I just think that that conversation clearly illustrates how many things are left to be sorted yeah. out if, if this yeah. is going to be the future of college sports. But yeah, we can put just, it in it there. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I guess like there's, I don't know, if, if you're not a college sports fan, this is a time to really get into space. It's certainly changing. We had a Supreme Court decision this year. We had state legislation and basically, you know, half our country getting athletes paid. And now we have the definition of student athletes changing to employees essentially overnight. So uh, so it's an insane world. Okay. Uh, Stephanie, you've been awfully quiet over there. I see that smirk on your face. You're dying, dying to talk about Ben Simmons. Um, go ahead. You're at basket. I see you have your basketball sweatshirt on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell, tell us about your friend, Ben Simmons. Well, let me just start with this. There was once a time where Ben Simmons was not only dating Kendall Jenner, who has now moved on to bigger, better, and more dedicated and talented NBA players in Devin Booker. But Ben Simmons was actually the first overall pick in the 2016 NBA draft. And then somehow last season, he decided to, in my opinion, absolutely contribute nothing to the 76ers. And I don't know why he is upset and trying to be traded, move on from this team, because I don't think he's really going to get a lot of uh, – points from the other teams for the way he's been acted. He hasn't reported to training camp and he essentially came out and said that he is committed to never playing for Philadelphia again, despite multiple players on the team wanting to travel to LA to meet with him, to spend time convincing him to commit to the season. And he essentially told them, Nope, I don't want to talk to you. Do not come. I am not coming back and playing for the 76ers. So, I mean, these 76ers, the general counsel must be good or the CBA and the contract are doing its job in that the 76ers don't have to pay Simmons until he performs the services that he exclusively promised to the 76ers. So until then, Ben Simmons, who's under contract until 2024, Philadelphia can withhold his salary, which still has, I don't know, 140 some million dollars left on it. Okay. So I don't know. This involves too much. Dan, what do you think? Um, <laughs> and that'll, that'll conclude the Ben Simmons segment. We're done. Stephanie just got it all out. No, I'm totally <laughs> um, no uh, first of all, I'm going to fact check you on one thing. Ben Simmons is definitely taller than Devin Booker. You said bigger and better, probably better, but not bigger. Ben Simmons is taller than Devin Booker. I'm, I'm very in my confident. opinion, in my opinion, my, my humble opinion, 
Devin Booker is a lot cuter than Ben Simmons. Stephanie, what, what, what is going on here? I didn't know you had this crush on Devin Booker. Where did this come from? Oh, are you? what do you mean? I was obsessed with the Suns. Chris Paul and Devin Booker. What do you mean? I wanted them I'm, to win it I, I'd like to see the receipts because this is the first time ever hearing you I talk about this. I believe it actually might be in an old Conrad Detrimental episode in What to Watch For. It's not because I study every single old episode every single day of my life. And it's not, no, it might be in there. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story about Stephanie and then uh, Tara and I, I know you have some comments on it. Oh, um, so Stephanie and I obviously uh, work together at the same, at the same office. So I, uh, you know, and we had alluded to it earlier. Uh, Dan got the scoop on this, uh, this Missouri uh, Court of Appeals potential writ. Uh, Dan asked me to look at it because that's, it's what I do. I practice in litigation. So Originally, we were thinking it could be a, a challenge to the Supreme, uh, to the summary judgment motion. So I looked at the exhibits and I'm like, eh, I think this is a challenge to the venue determination. Again, when we first saw it, it was fully under seal. We were just looking at the docket. So Stephanie uh, stepped up and uh, you know, she did some legal research for us. We, we confirmed the time frame of the uh, allowable time to file a writ of prohibition. So you know, um, this article was done. Dan is in Russia. Obviously, he's on Russian time. So whenever Dan's talking to you, it's like three in the morning. Uh, I was dropping my daughter off at preschool. And meanwhile, Stephanie was on, on top of it, putting the PDF together, really getting the research done. So Stephanie, I called up Stephanie and I go, and she didn't know why I was calling her. I called her like I don't know, on my way home from, from class tonight. And I go, Stephanie, I have a compliment for you. And she's like, oh God, what is it? And I'm like, do you not like getting compliments? She's like, no, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I'm like, okay, I guess I won't give you the compliment. Uh, Stephanie, what, what did you say? I was like, no, tell me. Now you have to tell me. So anyway, now, now I get to give you the compliment of the podcast. You get to deal with it. Sometimes you do a good job. Sometimes you get complimented. And other times you do a terrible job and you get scolded. No, I'm just kidding. You, Stephanie, you, you do a great job for the firm. Um, so uh, yeah, Ben Simmons, uh, Taryn, I'll, I'll shut up for a second. Taryn, go, go ahead. I know I know you're, you're deep in the weeds on this. Yeah, uh, so... Steph, you brought up the uh, the possible uh, trip to uh, to hunt Simmons down in California by his uh, teammates, and and I guess after he declined their overtures, uh, Embiid has had enough because he's actually been carrying his weight for the last few seasons, and he said our teams have always been built around his being Simmons' needs, so it's it's just kind of surprising to see. Even going back to the reason why we signed Al, we got rid of Jimmy, which I still think was a mistake. Jimmy Butler, of course, he's speaking about just to make sure that Ben needed the ball in his hands. And I, I kind of like this Embiid with his gloves off and, and really telling the truth, right? Like the Sixers have tried so hard to make this work. And, and it's just, it's clearly not working. You know, the spacing just doesn't make sense. Simmons for some reason is just abandon all hope of ever even developing like a mid range shot. And then I think that probably the, the last straw was him uh, passing up that, that open layup uh, in the Hawks series. And then they I, collapsed in game seven. I remember going on Twitter right after that happened and everyone was just like, who, what is he doing? Yeah. One thing I am interested in, and maybe Steph, you have some thoughts on this. The, the agency relationships are so important in the NBA and in the other pro sports leagues also, but especially in the NBA where an agent can really be responsible for helping you or hurting you in, in building a team. And, uh, and, and I'm interested to see how this, uh, this whole Simmons dilemma affects the Sixers relationship with clutch sports. I mean, that's just a huge agency and, 
represents a ton of players that I'm sure that they would love to have. And, you know, sometimes you see the, the teams, they, they give out these really expensive contracts. You're like, why? And then you look at who the agent is. And, and I don't know, Steph, do you think that there's a way to, to salvage both relationships here? I just don't see how this is a good look on his part, whether he stays 76ers or not. Just because if I'm a coach from another team and I see this guy who is kind of being a baby, honestly, like, I'm sorry, suck it up and go to training camp. That's what you're getting paid to do. You co- He's literally giving away eight and a quarter million dollars by not showing up. So, Which I so think here's, is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, here's here's the update. So this is from Shams uh, Sharanya over at the Athletic. Sources: The 76ers are not paying Ben Simmons his eight and a quarter million payment due today, which was last week, as the three-time All-Star waits to trade. Simmons is not showing up to Philadelphia and has understood the ramifications of his holdout. So, um, I've uh, I, you know hearing some rumblings that uh, Ben Simmons might, at his disposal, pretend to fake an injury and try to uh, a not show up but still get paid. Um, I just think, uh, and, and obviously those who have listened to the podcast know our thoughts on Rich Paul uh, with Clutch Sports. The guy has a lot of power and is throwing it around. So, you know, uh, at some point, we'll, I'm sure someone will write something for the website. Um, but I don't know if Rich Paul is doing his client any favors right now. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a necessarily a huge booming trade market for a guy who collapses in the fourth quarter games. I said it. I don't, I don't think I'm saying anything so uh insane the, the guy is a defensive stopper but when it comes to hitting shots at the end of the game that's what superstars are supposed to do number one overall picks are supposed to do and and simmons I, I think had a historically bad free throw percentage for guys uh at the guard level so i mean he's a liability in the games so I, don't, I don't know what else to put it so um you know at a certain point uh rich paul's got to make a decision is it better like let's say he gets traded to the sacramento kings right in some type of deal uh, I, I don't know. Is that necessarily better for Ben Simmons' career to be out of the spotlight? I mean, the 76ers are in playoff games. They're a team that was amongst the favorites to win the Eastern Conference last year. And then, you know, if there was, there was a ball bounce away from them beating the T- Toronto Raptors and being the, you know, the NBA, or at least making the NBA Finals a couple of years ago. So it's not all doom and gloom, but Stephanie, to your point, um, your words, not mine. He's being a kind of a baby. Uh, you know, here are my words. He's being a baby. I, I, don't, I don't know how to put it. He's not kind of being a baby. He's being a baby. So, yeah, I, I obviously we're going to keep keep an eye on it. Um, but uh, listen, it happens in football. I kind of alluded to it. Uh, I mentioned it on, on Instagram, but Melvin Gordon held out. Same type of deal. He wanted a new contract uh, and he was holding out for it. Le'Veon Bell held out for a new contract with Pittsburgh Steelers. They find him every single day. And you know, both those guys were both superstars and they've never really been able to replicate. So, uh, listen, I'm not rooting against Ben Simmons. I'd love for the guy to turn his career around, but... This is not, this doesn't seem to be the way to do it. You're not getting any, any favors in public sentiment. Um, Steph, do you want to yell at Ben Simmons more? I was going to say 76ers, if you're listening and you have a spare eight and a quarter million dollars, I think I know where you could find someone that would really appreciate it. And she is speaking right now. Steph, how's your free throw shooting? My free throw shooting is honestly, it's kind of good. I actually did go. go to, I went to Dave and Buster's kind of recently and <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, judge me all you want. Um, and I did the shooting game, the basketball hoops game and Papa I Papa was very, very good. Um, did you sleep at a holiday in the express last night? No. 
Well, then your free throw shooting is terrible. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> Steph, uh, listen, I guess the, the big takeaway for me in this, I didn't know you were such a big Devin Booker fan. I did not, did not realize that. I love Devin Booker, mostly because you see I, him and Giannis, I think there you might go. be my There's two a favorite real king. right now because they both put in the work and they know what it takes. And I think, I, I think it was Stephen A maybe who said Devin Booker is like Kobe's prodigy. Yes, he certainly is his protege. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll put a pin on it. Simmons thing's not going to go away. It's going to be trade. It's going to be something. But, you know, you got you to watch these big holdouts. Um, we'll see what comes. But hopefully it works out for both sides. I have a feeling it's not going to work out for Ben Simmons. Okay. Uh, topic number three. We had you guys on both once upon a time uh, because you were former fans, I guess, of the Washington football team, formerly the Washington Redskins. We talked about South Park did that really fun episode on the Washington Redskins. Now the Washington football team, they had to change their name. Now we've talked about the Washington football team in so many contexts. We talked about them botching the name change in a trademark sense. We talked about toxic workplace allegations, maybe Snyder being forced to sell the team. All these interesting and unique uh, sports law issues, this sexual harassment claim against uh, Dan Snyder. So I made a joke once upon a time that the Washington football team is kind of playing sports law bingo. They've hit all of these interesting intersections of sports law and they keep doing it. I don't really know how they keep doing it. And this is not a Washington football team podcast. If anything right now, it's a St. Louis Rams podcast. Shout out to the St. Louis Rams. <laughs> but uh, we get this weird story in the middle of our St. Louis Rams coverage. In the middle of all this, I start getting all these tags uh, from this bizarre story coming from Washington football team. And if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you haven't heard of the story, it is bizarre. It is still ongoing, but we've got to cover it. We've got to cover it because uh, certainly falling in our intersection. Taryn, um, as a, I guess maybe the biggest Washington football team fan among us, uh, tell us about this uh, bizarre happenings over at Washington HQ. That's right, Dan. Uh, current Washington football team fan, unfortunately, but big win on Sunday, Taylor Heineke, the real deal, 28 year old rookie of the year. It's happening. Um, so, this week, uh, federal investigators executed a search warrant at the home of Washington football team trainer, uh, head athletic trainer, Ryan Ver Vermillion. I think I'm saying it correctly. They also uh, executed a raid of the uh, Washington football team's Inova Healthplex in Ashburn, not too far from where I grew up. So um, they've the, the Washington football team has now put Vermillion on leave uh, for a an ongoing criminal investigation that is unrelated to the team. So I thought that that was pretty uh, pointed language. They really wanted to get out ahead of this and say, oh yeah, even though they're uh, currently DEA agents searching the, uh, the football team facility, this has nothing to do with us. Definitely not him running drugs out of the, uh, the facility. That's speculation. I don't know if that's true, but um, I, it's just another instance, you know, they just, they can't clean up their act. It's like every few months you get a terrible Washington football team story. It's exhausting as a fan, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm beyond trying to defend them. One interesting thing is that, so uh, Vermillion, he worked in Carolina for 18 years and nine of those years was with Ron Rivera and Ron Rivera was asked today for comment. And he said, uh, the only thing I can say about Ryan is, is that I know who Ryan is last year. I trusted Ryan with my health. Obviously, uh, Rivera battled cancer last year and beat it. Um, and I would do it again. He said, so, uh, you know, I, I want to think of, uh, Ron Rivera to be, uh, like a good judge of character. And it's just, it, 
it's painful uh, on one hand because the the team is again being drugged through the mud. But um, if it's somebody who has betrayed, uh, you know, a coach, cancer survivor, seemingly a good man, I, that's uh, that that really stinks, Steph. Yeah, and going off of that, I think I saw somewhere that he was interviewed, Rivera was, and he essentially said, the only thing I can say about Ryan is I know who Ryan is. Last year, I trusted Ryan with my health and I would do it again. And that's what he said. But with all of these other rumblings around, and then you have everything in the past from when the whole dangerous painkillers class action lawsuit came out a few years ago, you know, it is a little bit strange and at least I think they said there were more than a dozen DEA agents at his house, which is a lot for something that is not related to the team. And I do say I did a little bit of research on Reddit because, you know, the Reddit feeds are where all the fun happens. And so there was this one person who posted and his actually his account name is kind of funny too. It's this is a casual account. This is the casual account said that he's apparently been a Panthers fan and has had his own conspiracy theories surrounding Vermillion for years. And he goes on to talk about Cam Newton's injuries, Ryan Khalil's injuries, Michael Orr, who went out with a concussion to just never return and last things ever were reported brain damage. So maybe he is very involved in giving players painkillers when they need to go out on the field again I mean like you said he was the Panthers head um director or whatever for 18 years before this he's very well respected in the league too which is very interesting like this is a guy who doesn't really have any anything bad on him unlike Dan Snyder and you know it's weird Dan thoughts um yeah so I mean Listen, we're not speculating on the fact that the DA agents raided his house. Um, and the DA is not uh, in the business of just performing false raids on people that have no credible evidence around them. Um, I think the one, one topic that we should mention, right? Ron Rivera and obviously um, Vermillion go back a number of years. Riverboat Ron made his uh, name with the Carolina Panthers. So this is not someone that Riverboat Ron uh, Rivera, coach of the Redskins or coach of the Washington football team has just met. He's known him for a long time. Um, that said, uh, I, I don't. I ask this Washington football team just a cursed franchise. If there's something that could go wrong, they find a way. The trainer of your team is being in his house raided and he's placed on leave with, with you know, tens of DEA agents. Like that doesn't really happen. Um, so I, I feel bad for Washington football fans at this point. Like it's it just you can't even pay attention to what's going on in the field. Like Taryn, you're rooting for Taylor Heineke. Like that is the the low depths of fandom. If you're cheering on Taylor. Heineke. I mean, I, I just not. things Warner. aren't going well. Yeah, he's a modern day Kurt Warner. You know, they're they're making they're going to make a movie Kurt. about him too. They're going to make I a, a so. made for TV I hope movie so, about him if they're lucky. Dude, uh, this this is a guy that uh, was like washed out of the XFL, uh, Taylor Heineke, and and was living on his sister and and brother in law's couch in Atlanta. After that, this, and this is not this is not a Taylor Heineke podcast. I am I am. You've hit your quote of Taylor Heineke references. Uh, we're not talking about Taylor Heineke. All right. Well, then let me say something else. The 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 reporting on this story, uh, it, it was broken by J.P. Finley, Grant Paulson, and Julie Carey, uh, the local NBC 
uh, affiliate here in Washington, and they've done a lot of great reporting over the years. And, and this is just another example of that. So if you want to read more about this uh, story, you should go check out their story on, uh, on, on Twitter or uh, on NBCWashington.com. Okay, so uh, we'll definitely follow that one. I mean, I, I can't imagine that's the last we hear of a DEA agent raiding, raiding someone's house. And they placed it on team leave, so the team must be aware of something. Yeah. Unlike, unlike which we're not going to cover, Houston Texans, right? Deshaun Watson has 100 or is 20 different allegations of civil sexual assault. The, no one has placed him on leave, yet the Washington football team places this guy, a Vermillion, on leave. So, I don't know. Just, just pay attention to your NFL tolerances over here. Um, okay. Taryn, I'm, I'm very concerned uh, about this topic. We're going to bring it up after your, your insistence. Um, and I think we should hit it because it's an important topic. And I know you're a fan of uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, but let's do it like this. Uh, we do a fun topic every week called What to Watch For. Uh, I imagine the story is continuing to develop. But Taryn, uh, I'm, I'm scared to ask it. Remind you that uh, this podcast is live and everything you say can and will be used against you on future podcasts. But take it away on, on Urban Meyer uh, as, your, as your what to watch for as we, as we look ahead into the week. Yeah, uh, I, I guess maybe this story has been wrapped up with the apology today. But over the, over the weekend, there was a viral video that was uh, going everywhere on Twitter of a, a young woman dancing on Urban Meyer's lap. And uh, yeah, I, uh, my, my sister goes to Ohio State, my fiance and her family, there are big Buckeyes. We, we really love the Buckeyes, which has led to me to uh, defend Urban for some, some questionable things in the past. And I don't know how he could uh, put himself in that position. He's at his restaurant in public. It's uh, um a lot of people are around. You have to understand that you're going to be a target and, and that not everyone likes you even in your own restaurant. Uh, so uh, yeah, the, the video that surfaced with the, the young woman dancing on him, the, uh, the Instagram uh, photo um, where she said, who is this? He keeps flirting with me. The, uh, the alternative angle, which shows him, uh, uh, groping. Just say, I guess. Just, let's say groping. It's it's much it's much worse than being danced on. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Yeah. The 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 other video, the alternate angle, is, is much worse. And and honestly, uh, uh, Urban Meyer is somebody that that prides himself on being a, a good Catholic and and uh, and instilling those Christian morals into his uh, players. And uh, and he and his wife have been married for a long time. They have a, a beautiful daughters. They have great grandchildren and stuff like that. It's just really unfortunate and inconsiderate on his part to, uh, to be doing something like that in public. It would be bad to do it in private too. That's not what I'm saying, but, but even worse to, to do it in public because he and his wife are both very public figures and, and his wife especially is very online. So uh, feel bad for her and, uh, and I hope that they're okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just, just, uh, Taryn, you know, I, I saw this, um, the urban does have a history of joining a new team, experiencing immediate success and then having some type of personal, uh, issue or health issue. And then he ends up leaving the team and finding another team. Um, this is maybe the repeat of that cycle, except, uh, he's sitting at 0 and 4 with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So he has not experienced a modicum of success. Um, why is this potentially a sports law issue? Um, we got to we got to acknowledge it. 
Um, there are, uh, in our, our NFL uh, folklore, sports, sports folklore, there are morals clauses. I don't think this rises to the level of a morals clause violation. I don't think it rises necessarily to the level of anything that's going to force him to leave the team. Um, but as Taryn mentioned, doesn't really look good for the organization, right? Sometimes you could do something that's not illegal. It just doesn't really look good for the organization. So we'll see what comes of it. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to lose his job over it, especially as a first year head coach, but uh, it's not going to cool down the pressure and that temperature of that seat. Trevor Lawrence could look good all he wants, but the team goes 0-4, 0-5, 0-6. Urban Meyer was brought in to, to help uh, build back the organization. And uh, can, I think they're 3-1 and one against the spread right now, but you got to win some football games. Um, but I don't know. I don't love covering the story, but, you know, it was trending all across Twitter uh, and people were asking us for a legal opinion. Here's our legal opinion. It's probably not going to result in that much, but if the Jaguars wanted to make him sit out a game, wouldn't shock me. But uh, I don't I don't think it's the rise to the level of breach of contract, anything like that. Um, I, OK, I do think oh, that. Sorry, I do think that just, you know, it's another thing. It's another thing that's complicating the rebuild. Uh, not only are they owned for right now, but he had tried to hire Chris Doyle, uh, who was shrouded in in controversy over alleged racist remarks when he was at Iowa. Um, and, and then now this, so everything that is happening off the field, which is not going well on the field, everything that's happening off the field is really distracting from um, what they're trying to build down there. So hopefully uh, he can get it together. And, and because I know Jaguars fans are really loyal. It'd be nice for them to have a winner. Um, Steph, you're what to watch for. Okay, I've been following the Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry case now for what seems like almost a month or two at this point. And now that we have Dog the Bounty Hunter involved, apparently he said that the search has become more dangerous now. And it still really, really bugs me. If you don't know the entire story, it's all over the news. This guy, Brian Laundry, who they're searching for, allegedly... He's a person of interest suspect, same thing. But the parents, his parents, there's something going on with them in that I think that they're helping him evade the authorities. And his sister actually, I was just reading this, came out today and said her entire family has been ignoring her following the disappearance of her brother and the death of his girlfriend. And she essentially said she's getting thrown under the bus by the family's attorney. And I just think that this whole case is wild. And they, I, I'm looking forward for them finding him and bringing justice to Gabby Petito and her family. So I have one bone to pick with the authorities uh, on this particular case. So they go away on a road trip, right? Uh, and they're driving, they're doing some camping in Wyoming. Congrats. Okay. Um, they, he comes home from the trip without the what? without the fiance. Um, so uh, that's a little suspicious, okay? And then no one hears from her for a couple of days. I, to me, right, if I'm just, you can timestamp this, whoever's listening to this podcast, if I've ever involved in a true crime murder, I want you to timestamp this right here. If I show up from my vacation without my wife or my fiance, whatever, and I don't have her, and I'm not answering any questions about where she is. I'm not crying and distraught that we broke up, that she ran away with another man. I'm just refusing to answer any questions. Put me on a person of interest report, okay? Put me under the spotlight and ask me a hundred questions and lock me up until she's found or not found for a certain amount of time. What happened in this case, which I, I found so troublesome, he comes back home allegedly from this trip without her and he's at the parents, his parents' house for a couple of days. And- They go on vacation for two like days. Like 10 days. 10 days. At home for 10 days. 
10 days. So he's just chilling. He's playing some Xbox, he's playing some Call of Duty. La la la. There's a manhunt trying to find my, my missing fiance, but the police aren't going to question me. And then by the time the police finally get their act together, Mr. Laundry is just gone and we don't know where he is. So you had him and then you let him get away. It's almost like, uh, Ter- Taryn, is it Denny, Denny Green, the old coach with the, uh, I think it was the Cardinals. We had him. We let him off the hook. That's is it Dennis Green? It. They yeah, are who we thought they were. <laughs> Playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. Okay, anyway, but yeah. That was <laughs> right? good. We, we talking about practice? Not a game, not a game. Now you're doing the greatest hits. Uh, listen, I've, I've watched that video too many times. Um, so uh, my what to watch for of the week, uh, it's a little less legal, but we did two, two legal ones. Um, all of a sudden, I'm, uh, I'm on Netflix over the week, and we live on Netflix between Coco Melon and all these different shows. Netflix got a little bit for everyone. Taryn, you're smiling. You know Coco Melon? No, but uh, the, the, the shows that you guys watch are so funny to me. My, my Netflix is so confused at my algorithm because I watch horror movies, and then I watch little kid shows because of my, my daughter. Coco Melon is like, uh, it's like this and, little... And you're forgetting about um, The Bachelorette. Bachelor in Paradise, Steph, Violence. Steph, but uh, listen, you're blowing up my spot on the podcast. It's fine. Keep this in. Netflix doesn't know that. If Netflix knew all the other crap I watch, actually, yeah, Netflix kind of knows. But Netflix is so confused in its recommendations for me because I watch like The Untolds, you know, the, the sports documentaries. I watch Drive to Survive. It has no concept. Of, like, how does one human being watch Coco Melon, horror movies, and then is also watching sports? It doesn't make sense. But anyway, I'm on there. And Netflix, obviously, uh, or maybe took a shot in the dark. It goes, Spotlight, you need to watch this. Seinfeld. And I'm like, oh, my God, Seinfeld is on Netflix? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good. I watch my fair share of shows, all, you know, Sopranos, Entourage. I've, I've watched all the big shows forever, right? The uh, Wire, I watch everything. I've, I've obviously seen Seinfeld, but I've never watched it consecutively from beginning to end. And everyone, anyone I tell that to yells at me that I have to and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, uh, wife and I, we're, we're three episodes in, we're watching all Seinfeld sequentially, which we have never done. So that's my what to watch for. Literally, what I will be watching for is Seinfeld, season one through infinity until we're done. Seinfeld is the best sitcom ever. And uh, two things, $500 million is the reported price that Netflix, Netflix paid for that, which is amazing. Wow. And, uh, and then the, the other thing is that the aspect ratio is messed up. So some of the, the jokes are cut off. A lot of people were complaining on Twitter. So like the pothole episode, like you can't see the pothole because it's the aspect ratio is different than when it was originally broadcast on TV. So you should watch for that too. Or movie on Netflix that I've been dying to see since I keep seeing previews. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. The Guilty. Have you seen previews for that on Netflix? The movie with Jake Gyllenhaal? It's like a mm, suspense thriller type vibe. That looks really good. So if you're listening and you've seen it and you think it's good and I should watch it, let me know. Um, so uh, I'll do this one quick and then we'll put this in the books. Legal life advice. Um, you know, we give bits and pieces of this advice every episode, but I, I certainly think it's important. We had uh, Jason Morin on the podcast last week. And for people who are wondering why we had a random episode covering the UFC article, which we don't really talk about UFC that much in this podcast. Uh, what did Jason do? Jason uh, just found a, an article for our website that actually like exploded and broke the website. Um, so Jason is a big proponent of this and you all should be. And uh, Jason, uh, Stephanie and Taryn, the reason all of you are involved in this conduct detrimental circle, 
one day you each of you in your own random way reached out to me and you all had demonstrated your uh, smarts and your sports law savvy in different ways, but you just kind of cold DM'd me in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, uh, this is the lesson for anybody. Um, if you want to extend your network, we can talk about networking all we want. At certain point, it's going to step, it's going to require you stepping out of your comfort zone uh, and just reaching out to someone that you wouldn't otherwise reach out to. And you never know what's going to come of it. Um, it could be a job um, or it could just be another contact to have another feather in your cap. So legal life advice is this. This is not really legal life. It's just life advice. Uh, if you want to work in a particular area or if you want to talk to, I don't know, let's make up a crazy one, Elon Musk or Mark Cuban. There's no harm in reaching out to them. Maybe, maybe they'll respond. Maybe you're going to tweet at them and maybe they'll respond to it. It's, it's very possible. But that's my advice. Stephanie, you're pointing at me as if you, you, have, you have some history of doing this. Well, funny you say that. I did email Mark Cuban once and he did respond. Mark Cuban responded to you? Yes. I was oh. trying to get, it was like, I was trying to get a maybe like a little fireside for the uh, sports law symposium. Mark Lazary versus Mark Cuban, you know, a little Mavs versus Bucks action. And he did respond and he said, unfortunately I have commitments, but Mark Lazary will be great. And boom, he was great. Okay. Uh, I think that about does it. Guys, anything else? Am I missing anything? Anything to add before we, we finish this episode off? No, uh, glad to um, be back on the pod. Uh, everyone should go on conductdetrimental.com and sign up for our newsletter. Every week I'm doing a great summary of the, um, the biggest stories. And most importantly, I'm putting our biggest jobs, our most interesting job opportunities that, uh, that are being posted on our, on our job board, on the website on there. And, uh, and we're also featuring little interviews with our, our contributors. So should definitely check it out. Um, been getting a lot of great feedback about it. And if you have thoughts about it, please let me know. Um, so I'll one programming note, we did tease this on, on Twitter. I would have teased it on Instagram, but uh, Instagram didn't exist for today. So it'll, it'll be brought up at some point. Um, but we're going to have a town hall hearing special episode, just like we did the super league, uh, podcast, uh, six months ago at this point, we're going to have a panel, uh, uh, for our top experts in St. Louis to talk about the St. Louis Rams relocation case. So stay tuned to that. Um, we do ask people at the end of every episode to give us a, a five-star rating and leave us a review. Um, somebody actually did it last week. We've had a couple. It's nice. I'm just going to read this one on the podcast. I, I love this. Um, this is by someone named, it wasn't me, sir, 45. Not sure who, <laughs> what that's supposed to mean, but just going just gonna to read the review. Uh, this podcast should have millions of subscribers as it has everything you need. As articulate lawyers analyzing exciting topics in sports, they also bring and experts in each subject to confirm their reporting is solid. Hit subscribe, listen immediately. This is the type of stuff that warms my heart. This past two months, uh, our, our downloads have basically doubled. Uh, and I love seeing it. I love seeing the website explode. This is, all, this is a positive podcast. We have positive vibes here. If you do want to contribute in some way, shape, or form, just let us know. Uh, I am uh, at Sports Law Lust. Taryn is at TK Sharma Law. Stephanie is at S Weisenberger underscore. Wallach, my friend, is at Wallach Legal and the show is at Conventional. Hit one of the five of us. I promise we'll get back to you. We'll set you up. It'll be all nice and fun. And then we can continue to build this giant sports law empire. We can have multiple podcasts talking about multiple sports and a lot of fun at the nexus of sports and law. Uh, yeah, I guess that's about it, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this episode. You guys did great. You guys, did, you guys are so good and amazing. Um, guys, we're good. We're good to go. I think we're good to go. And with that said, 
we will see you next week on another episode of Conic Detrimental. <laughs>